Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. Have a great direction that we want to move in. But first, I would like to share with the early birds, the people, the friends, the family that come in early. I'm an early bird. I like to rise early sometimes, not all the time. But uh, you get the worm early in the morning, don't you? So to all of those of you who have tuned in right now, I want to share with you a writing that came from a friend of mine, and I really do believe that this individual is a true friend, one of those that probably would stick close as a brother, no doubt about it. And he wrote something I thought was very um, sophisticated. I thought it was well-written, and I want to share it with you uh, who are with me this morning, and then we're going to launch into a little bit of the conversation we had yesterday. But first of all, we want to give thanks to God for this day. We want to praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. We want to say of the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for laying your life down for us. Thank you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, Yeshua, in Israel, in Jerusalem, that you walk throughout the earth at the right time, the exact time God wanted you to, and you became a sacrifice not only for that generation, but all who would believe in you through the message of the gospel that has been preached in the world for 2,000 years. And we want to thank you that you are still salvaging lives all over the world, from the white man to the black man to the red man to the yellow man to the brown man, and if there be any other colored man, 
male and female, you are still salvaging the meaning of salvation. You are salvaging broken lives. No doubt when Adam sinned, that mankind has been damaged goods. But Lord, we thank you that after you took Israel through a covenant with Abraham to establish yourself a people that through the ends of the earth, you might display your power and glory through a nation. Well, you're doing it in these last days through your ecclesia made up of the Jew and the Gentile. Through your son, Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice for sins, the shedding of the most innocent blood, no stain, no spot, no blemish, unblemished blood was the price to pay to purchase back the damaged possession. And so, Lord, we want to give you praise and thanks that you did it, that you were willing to go to the cross, you were willing to be mocked, you were willing to be spit upon, you were willing to be hailed a king through mockery, that the thorns went into your head, and that you went to the whipping post, and that you were crucified for the human race. We want to thank you that you took the 39 stripes upon your back, that you were, as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 53, unrecognizable. After the torturous beating that you took upon your body, with every ounce of blood that you shed, with every drop of blood that you shed, that that blood was crying out redemption, that that blood was crying out forgiveness, that that blood was crying out, this is the price and I have paid for the salvation of all who will put their faith and trust in me. I want to thank you and we want to thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, the only begotten Son of the Father who came to this earth for one purpose, not to be a king, not to be rich, not to have all the things the world could give, but you came to this earth in a human body to lay your life down, to appease the wrath of God that was upon the sinful kingdom of men. That the day that Adam died, we all died, and the sentence of condemnation came upon the whole human race. And you, you alone, Jesus, took that condemnation, took the penalty of the wrath of God against sinful creation upon yourself. And I cannot thank you enough for doing it for someone like me and for billions of people around the world. And together we give thanks today for our salvation. Whether the world will receive it or not, we will continue to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I think it is absolutely phenomenal that pieces of clay, specks of dust, creatures, fallen creatures, depraved, broken, scattered, without direction, 
that you found us and that you brought us into something beyond the mere existence of animated beings breathing, living, and dying. You brought us into eternal life with eternal purpose. You gave a plan to our lives. You added substance to our lives, meaning to our lives. We remember the words of the King Solomon, the preacher, who said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, meaningless, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And Lord, that's what all creation is from governmental aspects to military aspects. It is all a chasing after the wind. It is all meaningless without you. And yet you put more meaning into our lives. We unsignificant, unpopular people, basic, mere human beings, you added substance. You gave to us the hope of everlasting life to rule as kings and priests in your kingdom, to live with you forever in a bliss beyond comprehension. Lord God, you alone did this. You are the Savior of the world, and I just wanted to say thank you today with my brothers and my sisters who have one thing in common, Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross, died for our sins. Nobody else did. Buddha did not. Confucius did not. Aristotle did not. Muhammad did not. No gods, no lords, no kings. No one but you, Lord Jesus Christ, are the one and only genuine, true son of the living God. You are not the false light bearer that the Masons claim you to be. Lucifer is not the true light bearer of the mathematicians who think they could figure out the God of the universe by their mechanisms, but you, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, you laid your life down. You made an atonement for the sins of the whole world. You justified the sinners. You sanctify the most depraved and wicked of men. You wash us in your blood You cleanse us in the streams of righteousness. You purify us by the fire of your love. And you have done amazing things. And you have made our lives more beautiful than we could have ever dreamed. If you never did another thing, you have done more than we have ever dreamed you would have done with our broken lives. You have restored us. You have created within us a character, a divine nature that will go on forever. You have promised us brand new glorified bodies that will never die ever again. You said that you're taking away all the pain, all the tears, all the hurt, all the rejection, all the, all the evil. That it will never exist within our minds ever again. There will be no memory of the past. We will be filled with light and glory, and we will be filled with you, that you have given us your Holy Spirit, 
to dwell with us forever. You have written our names in the Lamb's book of life, that we have a reservation in heaven. We have a right to exist beyond the more and, and the mortal life of, of mere humanity. Lord, you're amazing. And not only what we are saying is true, but the experience of what I am saying right now is even more true. We have experienced deliverance on a, on a level that I don't think anybody really, except they've been delivered the same way, could ever understand how God delivered his creation through their faith in his son, Jesus Christ, delivered from addictions. Oh, I, I can't even begin to express what God has done. It isn't just a mental transformation. It's a life change. It's not small. It's not insignificant. It's profound at every level. And I just wanted to say thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And we're looking at you, and we're saying to you, thank you. Lord, if you could look into this camera right now and we could just see you face to face, we would just say thank you. Thank you for being so good, so merciful, so compassionate, and so kind to us. And we know that it's your desire to show that same compassion, that same mercy, that same love, that same kindness to all of your creatures that you created for nothing exists that you have not created. But the fall was brutal. And you warned, you warned our first parents, Adam and Mrs. Adam, don't eat of that tree. Don't do it. And they rebelled. And man, the price, oh God, has been more than they could have ever bear. And it's a price that we could not bear. To live in this world born in sin, deceived, purposeless, wandering. It made no sense to be here for what? No hope without God. It's brutal. And yet you revealed yourself to us, not through religion, not through organized religious systems. You revealed yourself to us through people that had before us found you in a true, new, and living way, that had an experience with you, who experienced themselves what it means to be born again, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have brand new life enter in and your eyes wide open to the reality of God. Whereas prior to our faith in Christ, it didn't exist. The heavens were shut the darkness was blinding, and we were without hope and without God in this sin-sick world. We were on the wide road that led to destruction that the many be on, and we were traveling along life's journey with the sentence of eternal death, the sentence of eternal condemnation, the pathway paved into hell itself and death awaiting the final sentence of eternal damnation, the lake of fire 
the end result of a life without God. Condemnation, guilt, shame, unending torment and vexation because we sinned. Not because you, God, desired that for anybody, but you warned what would happen. It's just the same warning of telling somebody that goes to the Empire State Building, don't jump. If you jump, it's going to be disastrous. And if they are persuaded to jump, contrary to your words, there's a law in motion called the law of gravity. What goes up will surely come down. And when one jumps, the devastation is real. You are not to blame God for the human condition. Human beings are to blame for our own condition. And what I have found, God, to be true, that when people are suffering with cancer or diabetes or one of a number of diseases within the 39 categories of man's sickness and disease, those who know you seem to handle it so much better. They don't curse you. They don't blame you. They may wrestle and not understand, but they draw near to you in their affliction. And they come very close to you and embrace whatever it is, trusting you, many of them, to deliver them, to heal them, but have resolved within themselves that this is not going to separate me from my love for God. I'm not going to blame God for the cancer. I'm not going to blame God for the diabetes. I'm not going to blame God. I'm not playing the blame game. However, I'm going to trust God through Jesus Christ, that by his stripes I am healed. I'm going to press into God and find the areas in my life that are unsanctified and unclean that may have opened the door to this sickness and disease. Maybe it's a generational bloodline curse, or maybe my sin has opened the door. But either way, I know that my confession brings healing. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just want to thank you, God, that whether I live or whether I die, I will draw near as much as I possibly can, but I'm being with you forever. People that have the same ailments that get sick, they kind of turn atheist in their thinking. They hate God. They blame God for everything. How short-sighted, how foolish to blame God. How foolish for Masons to think that there's a way out from the God of the Old Testament. How foolish to think that the God of the Old Testament was some brutal God, right? How foolish. God's law was holy, just, but it was man's sin that was so wicked. And yet men did not want to look at their sin and find fault with themselves. They thought that the best thing to do was to blame God. How foolish. Well, once that foolishness is eradicated and people could see through the fog of satanic deception to the love that God has for this world and his creation, Maybe the understanding would shift and salvation can be granted once again. But imagine today the salvation 
Have you been broken when God found you? Were you broken? Or did you think you were a pretty good person and God just needed you? No, we all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We all had the sentence of death and condemnation upon us, whether we were the good part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the evil part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was all death. There's good people in their own sense, and there's evil people, but both die without Jesus Christ. We have found life, folks. We have found life. We have found compassion. We have found true mercy. We have found grace. We have found acceptance, justification, sanctification, and we are on our way to glorification. We are the redeemed of the Lord, bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. How can we ever minimize these great truths? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now we found mercy and we are alive forevermore. We confess all sin. We repent from all sin. We fear the Lord in a godly way and we draw near to God and we are the sheep of his pasture and he's the great shepherd of our soul, the bishop of our souls. He is our great high priest who is full of compassion for our condition. He is our great apostle. He is all things to us. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you. And we all want to know how we can serve you in this wicked world today. We want to know your heart. We want to know your way. We want to not walk in your truth. We want to walk in your light. So teach us today, Lord Jesus, whom we love and appreciate and value and thank. We ask you to forgive us for the areas of our life that have not been committed to you, the things that we've held back from you. Forgive us for not turning over the useless fears, worries, concerns about the things of this world. Forgive us for not heeding your words. Fear not. Do not worry. Do not be concerned. Cast your cares upon me. Forgive us for bearing the pressures that are unnecessary. Forgive us for not accepting the complete and total deliverance and freedom and liberty that you paid for our eternal souls. Forgive us for holding on to the things of this world, for having one foot in the kingdom and another foot in the world. God forbid it. Forgive us for anything we have done that offends you, that insults you, that would hurt your heart. Forgive us the way we've conducted ourselves among ourselves or how we've acted within this world. Forgive us for not letting our light shine before all men that they might see our good works and glorify God. Forgive us for continuing to walk under the shadow of shame and reproach and condemnation and guilt when you took it all away. Forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for not trusting you. But Father, because of your patience and your goodness and your kindness, you have labored with us 
to bring us to a more mature condition that we totally, 100 billion percent, lean on you for everything. We trust you to be our protection. We trust you to watch over us. We trust you to take care of every need that we have and even to fill our hearts with good things. For you are a father of lights and you only give good gifts to your children. And you delight in giving us the desires of our heart when we delight ourselves in you. Thank you that the treasures of eternity belong to you. The treasures of darkness are yours. The treasures in the snow belong to you. The hidden treasures, the mysteries of eternity, the mysteries of the universe, the spiritual intelligence that we have received through your Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us out of the treasure of eternity. And above all things, the greatest treasure within your treasure chest was your son, your only son, your beloved son, your one of a kind, your proton, the first you gave your son to us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for everything. Thank you. And we could go on, and we can go on, and we could go on, and remember the day that we were without substance, without hope, snared, broken, busted and disgusted, no meaning, no value, and only the arrogant would think that they have meaning and value in their degrees and their platitudes. But in reality, all, both rich and poor, good breed and bad breed, met with the same fate. Without Christ, eternal death. My God. So we humble ourselves today, Lord, and we thank you. And I want to share with you now a writing from my friend, my brother. He wrote concerning the wayfaring pilgrim, and he's writing to the wayfaring pilgrims, you and I. And he said, well, this was written a couple of days ago. Today is the 3rd of February. He said, well, it's February, and tomorrow is Groundhog Day. That must have been yesterday. Excuse me. Excuse me, I am so sorry. He said, wonder how much of the church is afraid of looming shadows, herd anxiety, perplexity, strung out weariness, the threading tension of conflict, compliance, and growing resolution mandates, all adding up to the wearing down of the saints. Much of the church is dismayed and will simply crawl back into their lives and hibernate, not wanting to put any more emotional skin in the game. 
this posture or mindset will not build the perseverance and fortitude needed to weather the noonday's darkness which is upon us. We have been allowed to experience the drawn-out anguish of the election's disappointment and the distress of a hope dashed. Being forced in the posture of captivity in our own country is a startling realization. The inauguration looked like a staged communist parade, replete with battalions of troops, flags, and scripted media regalia. The Trumpet has sounded for four years, and the American church has largely spent the time of grace in a lazy faith mixed with continual pleasure browsing. The condition of the country is terminally sick, celebrating the dementia of degeneracy and sin. Biden, it's time for the Kamala. Play on words. The storm of tectonic upheavals is still in motion, awaiting Shiva's consort to move from persecutor or prosecutor to persecutor. The Hillarians' march, speaking of Hillary Clinton, is in the process of the seventh descent. America's unveiling nakedness is being viewed by the nations of the earth as both shocking in freedom's censored voice and cheered in her degrading condition. The scope of the world's drama has its eyes on America. Who would have ever believed liberty's sanctioning call to patriotic duty would be to spy on thy neighbor and turn in the deplorables? who cherish moral sanity and the Constitution's covenant, the contrived dangers to the hive of the collective. Be on guard, comrade. Wow. Cultural's Marxisms. Obey for your own good. A cabal. Excuse me. Wow. Cultural Marxism's education of society has ripened into the flood of embracing the demonic undertow of the Antichrist spirit. We the people is merely lip service and window dressing for power's dictatum of obey for your own good. A cabal of privileged corporate corruption and lobby exemption runs through the governing veins exacting not justice, but repressive control and censorship. The technocratic oligarchy is indeed ruling with a beastly force of dominion. The decloaking is underway. They are no longer hiding their designed intent for the grand global reset. In this new Atlantean utopia, the World Economic Forum has made its intent clear, promoting you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Is the poster really saying There will be nothing to be happy about. Political correctness, rampant censorship, perpetual surveillance with contact tracing, etc., has vaulted the world into the second year of a staged global economic demolition, restructuring the global equity of the middle class with vaccinations and booster shots to combat mutations is the core focus for the reset success. The word vaccine comes from vaca, the Latin for cow. 
The medical warfare is led by the WHO's frontman, Dr. Fauci. In Sicilian, Fauci means sickle, house of the maker of the sickles. This holds a very odious meaning and sign when one realizes that in Scripture, the sickle is applied in the season of judgment's harvesting. The masters of the realm are not hiding their intent. Their eugenics mantra is at the top of the end game of culling the herd. This is not silent fiction or science fiction, but science fact. The experimentation is molecularly being refined and packaged. The vaccine has had the buildup and rollout of a kind of grail host to be taken by all for the good of all. Currently, the powers that be have no problem soft-pedaling this genetic engineering host that connects to our DNA as a necessary tonic against the virus. The virus feeds fear, and in turn, fear feeds the virus. Down the road, the vaccine will divide between the vaxxed and the non-vaxxed that will further widen the chasm of tension and division in the country. Hell is mocking and grinning. The devil is branding souls, turning them on the spit with his trident, psycho-shocking the herd in the perplexities of disorientation and stress conditioning. Yes, all of this is going on in the spirit realm beneath the fragile surface veneer of society's heroic effort of compassion, rescuing, loving, and caring. The global cabal narrates the human element into the drama, but do not be mistaken. They are all in with the pandemic's agenda, keeping the misery index raised. We are being kept in a posture of suspended uncertainty with just enough of a pulse to hope, not a hope of a tomorrow that you would freely choose, but rather the only one that they have designated for the world controlling the allowed script. There will be no let up until the people concede comply and conform. You will sing the song or you are the enemy. A yoke has been fashioned, joining the iron and clay of which we, the people, are being fitted to bow to the image of the beast. Dearly beloved of the Lord of hosts, the demons are sheep lusting, and this is no time to be living outside the covenant covering of the blood of Christ. How can we call a nation to repent when the mighty Holy Spirit is calling the church to repent? Be not shocked. Only the religious spirit of ingrained self-will, parading its religion, dare challenge the clear voice of the word's authority and unction to put away a compromised heart with Babylon's comforts and defections. Come out of her enchantments. Cast off her alluring pleasures of fleshly gratifications. Rebuke her bewitching entertainment that renders godly strength impotent. Are we choosing the world's quantity or the kingdom's quality? If we feed on the word, we will not feed on the world. We become the choices we make. Beloved, a lukewarm love. For communion and his word grieves the Lord's intent for our lives. 
Choosing willful ignorance is a form of disobedience. With the Lord's spit, he made reference to one of two things. He made a healing salve to open the eyes of those maimed or, number two, warned that he would spoo from his presence those defiant to his call to repent and return. Prodigal living is not excusable to so great a salvation given at so loving a cost. The time has come and is now upon us that the Holy Spirit is calling the bride of Christ to identify with the intensity of Christ's suffering, bearing the reproach of being his witness, not bowing to the image of the beast by the cross's fortifying strength. In the face of growing persecution, we will cling to our testimony of Christ. Does the church have disciples in the ranks of the cross that are committed to seeing it through? His grace is still abounding, even in the bitter waves of Wormwood's gall of woe. If we, as a nation, a people, be unwilling to accept the word of the Lord's rebuke, then only the cup of tragedy remains for us to drink from. In the labor of his care, Luke Lucas. Well written, it needs to be heard again and again. Mature, ripened words to call the church to repentance. I'm in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 right now, and I'd like to read out of Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And it is basically a conversation about what qualifies us to rule and reign in the kingdom of God, here and now, and in the millennial reign to come. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, under the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who has his eyes like unto a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass. He says, I know your works and charity and service and faith, and that your patience and your works and the last to be more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. This is Jesus Christ writing letters to the church. Here it began with Thyatira, but it's a letter given to all believers in all churches throughout the church age for the last 2,000 years, up until this very moment. And what was the problem that he had with a church that was doing more works at the end than they did at the beginning? The problem was, because you suffer or allow that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. What does that mean in today's vernacular? That means every voice that is in ministry that teaches compromise 
Every ministry that says it's okay to sin, every ministry that says it's okay to walk in the flesh, every ministry that subdues the repentance that is so deeply necessary, every minister, every voice that seduces God's people into a false security, every ministry that builds a wall of salvation but is simply daubed with untempered mortar. This is a truth for the believers that there are ministers who are soft in their call to brokenness, carry the cross, repent. You have to admit it. They have so drowned out the voice of the hardcore gospel, a wooden cross with splinters that run deep into our flesh and that runs contrary to the grain of our humanity. You've got to admit it because they thought that was too much legalism, too hard, too harsh. We are a spoiled generation and we love to hear things that make us feel good. We heap to ourselves teachers having itching ears, and the teachers that we have heaped unto ourselves are the very spirits of Jezebel who seduce us to commit fornication with the world. Rather than the ultimate cry, come out, be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing, right? You know it, and I know it. Well, this was the problem with the church of Thyatira 2,000 years ago, and it is the problem with the church today. There's no preaching anymore that penetrates the hardness of heart. There's no conviction. There's no compunction. There's nothing that drives a man to the altar to humbly bow for his pride and ambition and all the other issues of the heart that are lukewarm, compromised, tainted, sinful. We know that. The cry came out, I have a problem with you, Thyatira. And God says to the church today, I have a problem with you. You've been feeding on false doctrine. You have been taught to fornicate with the world and with the flesh and with your carnal mind, to interact with it, to think out of it, to follow its passions and appetites. You have not taken up the cross. You have not died to self. You have not put off the old man and put on the new creation. You have not done it, saith the Lord. That's what the letter was all about. But this prophetess, she taught and seduced my servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And we know in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and says, Do we therefore sit at the Lord's table and at the table of devils? In other words, do we eat of the Lord's bounty when we gather together and then we eat at the devil's table by putting on things and watching things and eating things of the world? That's not the true church. Spirit of Jezebel. Verse 21 says, And I gave her space to repent. I gave these false teachers space to repent. I told these ministries of flesh and cosmology and cosmetics, the plastic surgery of today's Christianity. I told them, stop preaching your foolery. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. 
She continued to put the sugar-coated icing upon a half-baked cake. Think about it. People today believe they're going to heaven. People today believe they're saved. And Jesus Christ is sending a letter because his servants within the church had been corrupted by the flatteries and the Jezebelian spirit that promoted a gospel of toxicity in the sense of luxury with the world, fornication, adultery, idolatry. And it is adultery when the ecclesia, known as the church, the bride, commits fornication with world and spirits and demons. This was the call. Verse 22, because she repented not, behold, I will cast her into a bed. These ministries that have seduced God's people, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Wow. Now you know what the great tribulation is all about. The great tribulation is for the cleansing of the church. How is, you see, all these false promises, have all you want, live in the flesh, live by your carnal mind, don't confess, don't repent, be lukewarm, be half-hearted, have a little bit of fire, little bit hot, little bit cold, just move on, wait to die, wait for the goodies of the world, but don't repent and become a, a, a vessel meet for the master's use. I'm going to throw you into bed with the teachers who taught you how to be seduced. And this is the majority of the churches today. This letter could be written to all churches, all people. Have you been sitting under a ministry that has seduced you into a lukewarm walk? Are you sitting in a ministry that has seduced you to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom? Do you fellowship with people that are worldly and carnal in their appetites and their desires? Because they don't want to offend you. They want you to feel comfortable. They want to giggle and talk about nonsensical things rather than maturely growing in the spirit and becoming sober to the hour in which we live, that our eternal souls are being weighed in the balance. Do we hear that? Who do you fellowship with? Who do you giggle with? What are you watching? What are you entertaining yourself with? That's a call to every one of us to examine. Do you have deep spiritual communion in the deep things of God with the people you're around? Or do you talk about surface things that don't matter? It's your question. Is, I mean, we all have to answer it. But listen to the word of God. I'm going to cast her into a bed and then to commit adultery with her. In other words, feed on her doctrine into great tribulation. Except they repent of their deeds. So there's still repentance granted. What an urgent message to the church today. You may think this is some religious idea, but think about it. When you are alone with God, when I am alone with God, 
we are going to be either cast into the great tribulation because of our seduced mindsets, our seduced emotional conditions. Folks, we've been told a long time ago, do not live out of your emotions or your feelings and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ so you don't live out of that carnal, stinking, thinking mind. We know this. We are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We are to obey the word of God. We are to have our faith in action by doing what Christ said to do. Right? Except they repent of their deeds. But it gets a little bit more intense if we don't. Verse 23 says, And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts. You may think, I may think, we're putting a show on for the people around us in this world, but God is searching the intents and motives of everything in our hearts. And he's going to say to the people who put on the facade when he casts them into the great tribulation and kills their children, their dreams, their visions with death, you haven't fooled me. You may have put on for your own purposes, but I am not fooled. This is a powerful word. You may say, oh, that's hard. That's condemning. It is for the children of the flesh, for the children that are seduced, for the children that have not repented, for the children that have been fornicating, eating of devils in the cup of the Lord, feeding at Jezebel's table, being seduced, being comforted with the world's goods. Absolutely. But God searches the reins in the hearts. But listen now. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Every one of all of us in the church, God is going to give to us according to our works, according to what we've done. He's calling the church to repentance. Verse 24, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, or those in the church, as many as have not this doctrine, praise God. There's a remnant that has not been feeding on that doctrine. They've been feeding on the true words of God. The true words of God are bringing an inward transformation, a healing, a, a conversion, a born-again experience, right? He says, but I say unto you, as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. Wow. Man, this is good news. Listen to this. He says, I'm not going to burden those of you who are feeding on the word of God, who have repented, who are walking in holiness, who are growing in your faith and maturing in your character. He says in verse 25, but that which you have already, hold fast till I come. Hold fast. 
And remember, it's not just words or knowledge, because words and knowledge puff up. It's the word and the knowledge of God that has entered into the heart that has changed it into a character. Okay? A beautiful, divine-natured character. A joyful, liberated, free character. But not a foolish, worldly, carnal, fleshly existence. Okay? The word of God does something to us from the inside out. Now, here's the good news. Here's a qualification for governing in the kingdom of God. Verse 26, he that overcomes this age of fornication and Jezebel seduction, he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, keep doing the work of Christ, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I received of my father. Jesus Christ is telling the church that when they overcome, they're going to be handed a rod of iron to rule the nations and will break them as a potter is broken by a rod of iron. And not only that, he says to the overcomers of this lukewarm, Jezebelian seduction of feeding on false gospel teaching that produces no holiness, produces no transformation, produces no conviction, no compunction, no crying out to God, woe is me, I am undone. He says, when you overcome, I will also, in verse 28, give you the morning star what is that certainly not lucifer the true morning star what is this morning star well christ is called the morning star he's also the day star a morning star appears just before dawn When the night is coldest and darkest, when the world is at its bleakest point, Christ will burst onto the scene, exposing evil with his light of truth and bringing his promised reward. The morning star will guide you, is what the truth of it's saying. The morning star will be your guiding light. They talk about the northern star, the north star, the morning star. Christ will be your light and your guide through the darkest tribulation that many are going to be cast into. He just said, those that partake of this Jezebelian doctrine are going to be cast into great tribulation. Now, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So God has government reserved for the overcomers. As you are overcoming right now in this world and walking in repentance and brokenness and humility, allowing God to raise you up in the seasons of joyfulness and love and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit, which is a better life than anything in the flesh, you're beginning to rule and reign already. It's already beginning in your life. 
You have authority over devils, authority over demons, authority over evil things going on in your midst. You say in the name of Jesus Christ, no. And I tell you, it will be no. It's already begun. And it's preparing us for rulership in the millennial kingdom. Now, there's another passage I want to read. And it's in Revelation chapter 3 in verse 14. This letter was to the church of Laodicea. This church had a lot of problems. Let's take a look. But again, we're looking as to what qualifies for government, to be a governor, to be a ruler in the kingdom of Christ. It says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, And neither cold nor hot, I will spoo you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that you are wretched. Knowest not means you've been deceived. You're seduced. In the church of Thyatira, they had been feeding on Jezebel's doctrine so long, they had been seduced. And they have been seduced to a lukewarmness. And the church of Laodicea is the one that has become lukewarm because of the seduction, right? They think, I'm rich, increased with goods, you have, I have need of nothing, and knowest not that you are what? Church, you know what? You don't know what? You don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. Now, how do you figure that one out? How can a church believe that it's increased in goods, it has need of nothing, and says, I'm rich. How could it not know that it's wretched before God, miserable before God, poor before God, blind and naked before God? How come they don't see their true condition, but God sees it? And the ones who have light see it. The ones who are not part of that seduction see it. They see it. They see it in us, if it's in us. They see it in you, if it's in you. They see it in me, if it's in me. The light, the truth, sees. But how does the church of Laodicea not see How do they not know? How could a church or a person be 
wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked and not see it. I counsel you. You want godly counsel, right? I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. How do you buy gold from God? There's a price. A price has to be paid. What is the cost that Jesus taught? Take up your cross and follow me. And in big, bold letters, to follow me is going to cost you everything. Your riches, you say you are rich. Your goods, you say you're increased with goods and you have need of nothing. It's time to see that you have nothing. It's going to cost everything. To the lukewarm to turn, the rich young ruler, he was told, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And he went away grieved because he had much wealth. In other words, God is saying, Jesus is saying, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You're going to have to repent. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich in spiritual things, rich in salvation, rich in sanctification, rich in justification, rich with the glory of Christ in you, rich with the knowledge of God, rich with the gifts of God's spirit, rich in the things of God. And he said, not only buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich, and white raiment, buy of me the white raiment that you may be clothed. You see, they're naked. They don't know it. But the white raiment is the righteousness of Christ. You need to purchase from me the white raiment. Well, wait, salvation is a free gift. Yes, but these people thought they were saved. This is the church in Laodicea that had become lukewarm because they fed on false doctrines, and it's going to cost them something now. You're going to have to take the false security or false righteousness or a counterfeit righteousness, and you're going to have to get the true righteousness, which is he who is righteous doeth righteousness or doeth what is right. Righteousness is not a word. It is an experience in the life. It's not enough to say, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We are to become the righteousness of God, which means we do what is right. It's not walking around saying, I'm the righteousness of God and not doing what is right. That's a problem. Now, why does he want us to buy the white raiment that we may be clothed and that the shame of our nakedness do not appear? We do not want to appear before God naked. We do not want to appear before God miserable and wretched. We don't want that. We need to understand, how do I get this gold? How do I get this white raiment? 
How do I cover the nakedness and the shame of my humanity, my carnal mindedness, my fleshly appetites and ways? How do I take the real deal, not a false covering, but the true salvation of God? That the shame of my nakedness do not appear. And he said, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Have our eyes open to the truth of our condition. I've told you this story many times. I'm sorry if you're going to hear it one more time. Every time I read this, I can't stay away from what God revealed. That he would open your eyes or anoint them with eye salve that you may see. That you may see the true condition of your heart. Are my eyes anointed to see? Not my external eyes to look out here, my inward eyes of my faith, the eyes of my understanding, the eyes within. Are they anointed to see the condition of my heart? These people didn't see it. Many years ago in San Diego, California, I showed up at a scene around one o'clock in the afternoon of an elderly couple standing terrified, holding on to each other by their car outside of it. And a hundred yards or so down the road, a man in the middle of the street, a bicycle further down the road. I showed up, I got out of my car. I walked over to the man that was laying in the street. Blood was pumping out of his head. Like somebody was going and blood just was shooting out of his head. His leg was wrapped around his neck. He was like a pretzel. I didn't know what to do. I'm not a first responder. I took my shirt off. I wrapped it around his head and I began to pray. I began to beg God. I cried out to God. And while I'm praying for this man, not knowing what to do, he started yelling at me. He said, leave me alone. Get away from me. Get out of here. I got to go. He was in total shock. And he became so belligerent, I pushed myself away. I said, all right, get up, go, go. Well, he couldn't go anywhere. And thank God, a paramedic truck, an ambulance showed up and they hurried to the scene and they lifted the man up and they took him away. I never saw him again. I got in my car. I was driving up the road. It was a beautiful blue sky, San Diego, gorgeous day. I was having the most amazing day. And I'm pounding my seat and I'm bawling my eyes out. And I said, God, why did you have to show me this? And as clearly as I'm speaking to you right now, he said, this is the condition of my church. They are mangled. They are broken. They have been torn to pieces. But they are in shock, and they do not know their true condition. I heard that in my spirit. And ever since I've been preaching, for God's people to see their true condition, the condition of my mind, the condition of my heart, the motives, the reins of my heart, the intense the condition of my soul, the condition of my life, the condition of my marriage, the condition of my family, the condition to see, and God said, his church is not seeing their true condition. They're torn, bleeding, broken. 
and they, they live behind a facade of salvation, going to heaven, money is my covering, wealth is my strength, but it's not the truth. He continued on here and he said in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Do you know, I know people that no longer receive rebuke. They have hidden themselves from the light and they don't even know it. They won't communicate with the light. They stay as far away from the light as they can, and they mingle with men that are in the same darkness they're in. I know them. I know them. They won't come around me. They won't come around my wife. They stay as far away as they can, and they mingle with those who are in the same condition of themselves. They won't come around. Because they have this attitude because a demonic spirit has gotten into them. Oh, if I talk to them, they're just going to be negative to me. They're just going to point out my faults. They're just going to tell me what's wrong with me. And they're right. But it's for their own well-being, but they don't want it. They have hid themselves from the light that God has put in their life. And they say, oh, I could read the Bible. I've got Christ. And yet you look at their lives, and their lives are not being fulfilled. They are not walking the way that God would have them walk, but they can't see it. This is dangerous. And I'm not saying that Patricia and I are some great light bearers. That's not the point. We're pastors ordained by God with a gift. We're nothing. It's God's mantling that allows that light to shine. But I see people going to other people all the time talking, but they won't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. And if God puts light in a pastoral ministry and people stay away from that ministry, what's going on? To me, it's very dangerous, but he says this, the ones I love, I rebuke and chasten. So what happens when people won't let God rebuke them anymore and chasten them? I'm tired of discipline. What happens with that? The delusion And the deception sink in deeper. And it makes it more difficult to bring that person out of the dungeon of their own humanity. They get sucked into the vortex of their self-delusion. It's dangerous, man. When nobody's speaking into your life, when there's no light, you read the Bible, you get your nice sentence. But if nobody's really speaking into your life, and you think you're okay, and yet the people can see you're not, or you think somehow you've got as much light as the, as the great people, but you stay away from the people that are walking in light. You know what I'm trying to say. I'm not talking about great people. I'm talking about people that have the light, true light. They can see into by the anointing, not themselves. They're better than nobody, but that light has caused them to see error and repent, and they've been willing and obedient to repent, and they're growing. He says, because as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. If you can hear my words 
God is saying through his words, be zealous and repent. Don't be casual. You don't have a lot of time left because time is short and you don't want to be thrown into the great tribulation. But now comes the really good news. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. See, God's knocking on your heart right now. Can you hear it? Would you ask yourself the question, why do I stay away from my pastor? Now, you may go into another church. And if you have a pastor at another church, you have to ask yourself, do you have access to your pastor? You better. But have you accessed your pastor? knowing that a true pastor has true light to look into your life and to pastor you. I hear people all the time, oh, I didn't want to bother you. You're so busy. That's such a lie from the pit of hell. That is such a lie from the pit of hell. That's an excuse. All a person should be able to do is get on the phone, pastor, I need to talk with you. Or, Things are okay. Pastor, can, can we go out and have lunch? Can I take you out to lunch today without being afraid that he's going to read your mail? Because if you're afraid he's going to read your mail, then you got a problem. Come on. <clears throat> but God is standing at the door and he's knocking. And he says, <clears throat> if any man hears my voice and opens the door, you're hearing God's voice right now. If you open your door, I will come into him. Jesus is not going to force his way into your life or mine. He knocks, and if we answer, fine. If he knocks and we choose not to open the door of communication, and you're saying right now, oh, I have that with the Lord. But you're staying away from the Lord-ordained ministry that's supposed to bring you up into the fullness of Christ? Something's wrong. Got to look at it. I hope you can hear it. But if you do, I'll come in and I'll sup with you. I'll sup with you. I'll break bread with you. I'll commune with you. I'll talk with you. I'll help you. I'll counsel you. If you're willing to give up the things in your heart that you're ashamed of, that you're guilty of, that you're darkened by, come on. See, I know how this works. I had a pastor. I knocked on my pastor's door without even inviting myself and letting him know I was coming. I was on the phone with my pastor every single day. I went golfing with my pastor. I went to lunch with my pastor. I traveled. My pastor called me up and said, hey, I want to get together with you. I was never like, oh, no, I don't want to go. I was always thrilled. When my pastor invited me over to his house for dinner, I was there. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. I'm telling you something. It's a mystery. It's a secret. He goes on. I will come into him, sup with him, and he with me. Now, don't get me wrong. There's always a personal place to fellowship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our closets of prayer and private time. But God reveals things to us in the ministry that he's given to the church as a gift. Got to see it. Verse 21, here's the cool part of this. To him 
that overcomes the delusion, the deception, the self-grandized idea that I'm fine. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne? As I overcame and have sit with my father in his throne? There will be those before the throne and there will be those who sit in the throne of God, of Christ, ruling and reigning. Well, I had not intended to go into such detail about these things today, but I felt an unction. And we'll see where it all ends up. We could only do the best we can. Boy, do I wish that my pastor was still alive. Boy, do I wish that my pastor was still here, that I could go and knock on his door, that I could get on the phone and talk to him. Boy, do I wish I had my pastor back. God gave me an incredible gift in my wife, Patricia, who has a pastor's heart and an apostolic heart like few I've met. God gave me a wonderful wife to speak into my life. But boy, do I miss my pastor. I try to listen to people on television and I can't. I can't listen to them. I have a hard time listening to many, quite frankly. Pastor David Wilkerson, I've listened to him. He had a good message for his moment. I've listened to some, but boy, I wish to God, my pastor. Oh, I knew him so well. I knew his heartbeat. I knew his desire. I knew his integrity. I knew his sincerity. I knew him well. And I loved my pastor. And what I realized, it wasn't the man It was the mantle of pastor. I don't need to talk to a man and get emotional, solical, feelings-oriented conversation. The mantle, the anointing of pastor that was on my pastor is what I loved. It was God's anointing. It was God's pastoral gift. And it fed me. And it reproved me, and it rebuked me, and it loved me. It was the anointing of the pastor. The man was like every other man, fallible, fighting their own battles. Oh, but mantled with the gift. And he was very definitely one billion percent apostolic in the truest meaning, never once said anything. What I'm saying to you, wherever you're listening from right now, there's got to be people speaking into your life. The fivefold ministry of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are for the perfecting of the saints. 
And if no one's doing that in your life, how do you know where you really are? I know people that go to church, even our own church, they won't come around. They're afraid to come around. And I am concerned about that, some people. But if you have a pastor out there, you should employ that gift. You should bring it close to your heart. You should treat it with great respect and honor. You should value that because it is from God if it's true. The time is coming when these words won't be spoken anymore, except in the wilderness among the remnant. But for those that will be cast into the great tribulation, into a time of darkness, they're not going to have these words. You're going into something I don't want to go into. I confess, I repent of anything in my life that is not pleasing to the Lord, anything, period. So I think I'm going to leave you with one verse out of Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Your people shall be willing in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. It's the early morning of the third day rising. May God's people be willing to rule in the context of the rule of Christ. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. I believe the Holy Spirit today has called to whosoever will. Whosoever hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And my prayer to God is that these words will not be devoured by demonic spirits because you're on the wayside. My prayer to God is that these words will not fall short because they hit a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense in your heart. My prayer to God is that these words that have been spoken will not be choked by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. My prayer to God is that these words that were spoken today, that are seeds that will burst forth into experience, have entered into the good soil of your heart that will lead to repentance. And God forbid pride comes into any man or woman's heart and rejects openly what you heard today or that you attempt to argue with what you heard today. I fear for you. I truly 
fear for those who would be of such a spirit. Pray for me. Pray for my wife, Patricia. We are in a critical moment right now in our lives. It may not be critical to some, but it's critical to us. We have to make decisions today about the direction of our ministry, the direction of what we're doing. Today is the last day we have to know exactly what God wants us to do. I'm asking for your prayers. Please pray for us. We need provision and direction. Please pray for us that both will come. And whatever course God leads us down, it will not be the will of men, will not be our own will, but it will be the will of God. I ask you for your prayers, nothing more. Please pray. Bombard the gates of heaven. Get the Father's heart and say, Father, whatever your perfect will for pastors Vincent and Patricia is, please make it clear to them today. And I thank you so much for doing that. All right, I have gone way over time here today. I don't even know who's out there. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Hallelujah. Blog Talk Radio is still up. Hey, we did good on Blog Talk Radio today. See a number of people tuning in right now. And praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. I think we're done. Some nice comments on the chat room in Blog Talk Radio and in Facebook. Praise the Lord right now. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's a roundtable discussion on OmegaRadio.org. You might want to find your way over to OmegaRadio.org, roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier and her roundtable extraordinary folks. They're talking about, once again, we're not going to let this one go, how to prosper in the time of famine. Get ready, saints. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Pastor Vince. Shalom.